Welcome to the Redemption Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. All right, so uh, again, it's good to be here with you. We are in between sermon series, right? So two weeks ago, we finished 1 John. Uh, we were there for, uh, for quite a while. And next week, we're going to start the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Uh, just a clue in, the, the hope for us is that if you're at Redemption's Hill for a, a three-year period, that you're going to get a good, healthy diet of New Testament and Old, that, that you're not just going to only be in Gospels for, for three years, uh, and that is it. So this is our time to, to help us kind of even out our diet and go towards the Old Testament. We'll start that next week. There are some books out in the, the entryway that we have bought for you uh, to go through and kind of take notes through those sermons. Or if you want to read ahead and start taking notes even before the sermon, you can grab one and do that. We'll be in the opening of Nehemiah next week. But in, in the in-between, the two weeks in-between, we've kind of taken some, some one-off standalone sermons uh, for a reason. Last week, we jumped into the parable of the soils, and this week we're going to look at the hope is to be built up in and encouraged by the topic of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Those two terms, when you see them in the Bible, they're synonyms. They mean uh, the, the exact same thing. And we'll see this sermon as the this kingdom of God sermon a little bit as a primer to the coming series of, of Nehemiah to help us see, okay, what does it look like to, to be in and relate to this whole rebuilding thing that this guy was doing thousands of years ago? What does it look like for our modern self uh, in our culture, in our context to kind of relate to that and know what to do with that? This sermon hopefully will help us do that. The other reason that we're going to look at the kingdom of God is because it's massively important. It is a topic that is really in the entire scripture. It's all throughout the entire scripture. And and I'll use a little bit of hyperbole in some things today, but what I want us to understand is it's not just a thing in scripture. Uh, The kingdom of God is the topic of the entire scripture. And and that's what I want us to understand. Another way to say it is the entire, entire Bible weaves together the story of God's kingdom coming. That means the Bible isn't a million different stories of people trying to make themselves okay with God. The the Bible isn't a historical look at humanity's uh, progressive failures, which it could look like that if we're not looking for deeper things inside of it. And the Bible isn't even really just a story that is only about uh, our obedience or our ethics or our personal salvation. The Bible is the unfolding plan and the progressive plan of our holy God to annihilate the kingdom of darkness once and for all by destroying Satan's power, influence, and hold over the earth. That through Christ, Jesus would obliterate the enemies of God. That terminology, if you'll notice, was really intentional. Annihilate, destroy, obliterate. I am highly caffeinated, but that was written in my notes book before. Those terms are important and they're, they're on purpose because these are terms of a war. And what we need to understand is the Bible is actually a story of a great war. That is what it is, how a great king warrior Jesus will come do battle and through his battling all death and all sin and all shame and all brokenness will die. And when that is done, a fixed and perfect and unmarred kingdom will be handed back to God the Father and enjoyed by all who have submitted to Jesus and follow him before that happens. This is the story of the kingdom of God. The snake crusher will come crush the enemy's kingdom and bring about a new kingdom, and the family of God will live in that kingdom under that king. That's the story of the Bible, and we need to know that. Now, 
I always try and give us reasons to listen or clue us into to what this means for you. If you know me or if you're paying attention, I normally do that through questions. Uh, but this time, I'll, I'll just kind of do some statements. You should care about this if you're a believer and follower of Christ because we do not want to follow Christ or be a Bible-believing person who does not understand what Jesus is doing or what the Bible is about. Uh, how can we claim to follow Christ if we have no idea what he's doing? Does that make sense? How can we claim to be Bible believers if we're unfamiliar with the, the actual great one single story of the Bible? That's why I said this, this uh, sermon today, even before we get to Nehemiah next week, is, is one to hopefully build our maturity and our wisdom together. Those are the goals. It, it won't be kind of a normal sermon like we do most of the time. This one will be a little bit more of a teaching and, and a lesson. We'll go back into a little bit more of a normal sermon next next week, but the hope is that we can have a clear view of what's happening in the Bible, because without a clear view of what's happening, our heart will get really unhealthy really quick, right? That's the understanding. Now, we're, time, we're trying to focus on this uh, for a number of reasons, but what we need to understand is we need this. Most of our, our stories, uh, as we grew up, if we were around church or anything like that, most of us didn't really learn about the kingdom of God. Or if we did hear about the kingdom of God, we probably had it mentioned or relayed to us as heaven. The kingdom of God is, is heaven. It's, it's a place where good girls and, and boys go if they do good girl and, and, and good boy things. It's relayed as a, a distant, uh, tangible, future paradise in the clouds. It, it, it's kind of relayed as this otherly thing that, 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 that doesn't really touch your world now. But is that the meaning of the kingdom of God? It's not really in, in the Bible. Is it really just a final destination with crystal seas and pearly gates? Is it really just a, a future reality that we only get to experience that reality uh, when we die? Because though that may be the idea that we got growing up, or, or maybe that's even the idea that you're running with right now, and, and that's okay because we're, we're looking to kind of deal with that, this does not line up with what the Bible actually says about the kingdom of God. We had a conversation even this morning about things as we've grown up and things that we've been taught or things that we knew, and then all of a sudden we read the Bible and we're like, that's not in there, or, or, or things that we were never told about, and then we read the Bible and you're like, that's in there all over the place. We, we want to understand what the Bible really says about the kingdom of God. Uh, if we only relate to it as a distant, further out, non-accessible thing, um, it also doesn't line up with how Jesus began preaching in the New Testament. Jesus began with a very specific message, but before we even get to his message, we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit before that. Before Jesus started preaching, there was this guy named John the Baptist, and he started preaching. His job was to make the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for Christ to come. And he had this clear and this concise message that he would preach to the people, and it was simply this, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Not here, it's, it's near. And, and he's trying to clue them in. Be ready, think of this, listen to this. It's almost there. Come on, pay attention because something is coming. It is near. Now, the message excited a lot of people because of what they thought his message meant. When the kingdom of God got there, many people thought it meant that all of their personal enemies and their, and, and their political and their geographic and their social enemies would kind of go down and they, and they would prosper. This is kind of what they thought would happen. Uh, this meant mainly for God's people that most of them thought, okay, when the kingdom of God comes, Rome's going to get overthrown. We'll no longer be the little guys. We'll be the top guys and we'll worship God and we'll be victorious. Everything will be good. Heaven will come crashing into earth and we'll triumph over everything that is wrong. This is what they 
thought would happen. As soon as the kingdom of God comes, we win, we're on top, uh, we rule everyone, everything's fine, no problems. This means while we tend to struggle to, re- to relegate the kingdom of God to, this, to something that comes only after death, right? Remember, we kind of tend to think, well, it's this distant thing. You're not going to get it anywhere close to this world. It's only going to be after death. God's people in the Old Testament and Jesus, uh, his uh, fellow believers around the time that he came, they had the opposite struggle. They didn't think that the kingdom of God would have any parts of it that were delayed. They thought the full glory of the kingdom would come as soon as the King Jesus came, right? Everything would become right when the long-awaited Messiah comes. The world's going to be fixed. Everything's going to be wonderful. We, we see this sadly at the end of John the Baptist's life. Remember the guy who's preparing the way for Jesus? Jesus says even of him, he's the best man born of woman. That's a, that's a pretty high title to be able to get. John the Baptist ends up, for doing his job well, he ends up in jail. He's about to have his head uh, cut off all for doing exactly what he's supposed to. All for contending for truth well, he's about to get a death sentence handed down to him. And right then in his struggle with that over what was happening versus what he expected to happen, right? right, Truth versus expectation. He had the disciples send this message to Jesus, right? He's sitting in jail. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Hey, you need to go ask Jesus this question for me. And we see it in Matthew 11, three through six. He says, are you the one who is to come? Hear the heart. He's asking Jesus this. Are you the dude? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or should I expect another? Someone else. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are being raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Hear this verse 6. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Those words of John are gut-wrenching because I've experienced them, and I'd say maybe you probably have too at some point or possibly have. He's asking, are you the guy? Are you the guy? John expected that Jesus would come in power and everything would work out for good after that. Right? My life is just going to up and to the right. Everything's going to go good. Everything's going to go well. Uh, that, that John thought that he was, he was escorting the kingdom of God into the world and it was going to fix all brokenness, that Jesus would, would reign in, in a way that would kind of fix and save anything that was wrong with John. So he asked Jesus, are you the one who was supposed to come? Right? I had expectations about the Messiah coming and me being uh, ready to die is not the expectation of what I, I actually had. Are you actually the Messiah? Because the Messiah was supposed to fix everything and I'm about to die. I, I, I do not know how to connect those two things. John was asking Jesus, if the kingdom is really here, then why are things in my life such a mess? You connect to that? Why am I about to die? Why did I do the right thing and I'm suffering, Jesus, for doing the right thing? How is it that following you has not walked me out of pain? It's walked me into more pain. How has this happened, Jesus? Maybe that's something that you've experienced in your personal pain before. Right, Jesus, if you were the Savior who came, then why do I hurt so much? Jesus, why does the world and everything around me at different times, why does it feel like a dumpster fire of evil if your kingdom is here and you're the king, Jesus? If we want to get even more personal with, with the hardest, most difficult moments of life, Jesus, if you're the king and your kingdom is here, then why is my marriage over? 
Then why, then why can we not get pregnant? Why do we miscarry? Why do I struggle with sexuality? Why is my sexual desire all out of line? Jesus, if your kingdom is here and you're the king and you're reigning and ruling, why is all of that stuff a mess? Jesus, if you're the king and your kingdom is here, why, why did I just get trucked by another wave of depression? Why do I feel so much anxiety? If my king is glorious and strong, then why do I feel so defeated? Why am I so lonely? Why am I still single? Why are all these things this way, Jesus? If you were going to fix everything, why is everything like it is? And Jesus sends back these words to John. Well, the blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are even being cleansed. The deaf hear dead are being raised, like multiple, and the poor, the least of these, they even have good news now. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. What is Jesus saying back to John? He's saying, okay, because things aren't working out the way that you had planned, and there's there's a harsh way to say this, and there's a kind way. He's not trying to say it in a harsh way. Because things haven't worked out the way that you planned doesn't mean that my kingdom isn't actually here, though. That was his point. If the kingdom wasn't here at all, John, then why are these miracles happening? So we have to understand, what are miracles in the Bible? You're like, oh, they're just cool stuff. No, they're, they're pictures of what the kingdom of God fully revealed looks like. When there is no death or shame or brokenness, nobody's sick anymore. Jesus says, how would sickness be healed if my kingdom isn't here? How would I turn death inside out and and have people walk out of their grave if my kingdom wasn't here? How would the poor actually have good news and reason to celebrate if my kingdom wasn't here? That's why Jesus says those words that I think make more sense to me now than, than they ever have before. Blessed is the man who's not offended by me. Jesus was saying, blessed is the one who even when they suffer, face trial, or their plans just go sideways, doesn't become offended by me. Do you you grasp what Jesus is getting at? We get offended at Jesus at times. Feel it. like You're offending me because it went that way. Like offense grows in our heart towards him where we say, well, wait a minute, and maybe we'll say it out loud, or maybe we'll just kind of process it in our, our mind. Wait a minute, I feel like you didn't hold up your end of the deal. I, I'm offended by that. I, I don't feel like you came through for me in, in the way that you should have, or, or the way that I thought that, that you would. And it's underneath, it's the heart's actually going, I, I think that you're not fair. I don't think that you've dealt with me fairly, Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed is the one who doesn't do that. Hear this, because these words can sound flippant, but they're not, because we have to wrestle with them. Blessed is the one who believes even when they're hurting. Blessed is the one who doesn't assume the kingdom of God in this present age will fix every pain and problem and temptation that we have right now, but instead remains hopeful for the future age when the kingdom of God really will accomplish all of those things and so much more. Why is the prosperity gospel such a devilish, horrible thing? Because it preys on people and tells them things are true that the Bible never says is true. You'll be rich and things will go well and everything will be perfect. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Blessed is the one who even when things go sideways, they still love me and they still follow me and they still have hope. 
You see then Jesus started his preaching, right? Uh, John the Baptist started, the kingdom of God is near. Then if you look at Matthew chapter 4 in verse 17, Jesus says this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Notice that. Jesus didn't say repent so that you can go to the kingdom of God later. He doesn't say repent so that you can get a, a blessing after you die. He doesn't even say repent so you can have a personal savior and it'll just be you and Jesus until the clouds come. He doesn't say anything like that. His message is repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is happening now. It was near before and now it's here now and you can experience Jesus, the warrior of heaven, has started something with his coming. He goes, it's here. And I thought about that in the parable of the, the, the soils that we, li- that we went through last week. When Jesus preached, do you remember when it said what the seed was? It was the message of the kingdom. It wasn't be good. It wasn't fall in line. It's there's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom here. That, that was the gospel seed. Jesus brought that seed to bear. He had brought his kingdom down to earth to live among earth. Now, while this is 100% true, Jesus did bring the kingdom down to earth. What we struggle with is okay, but what does that mean now versus what it'll mean later? That's where we get in the weeds. We struggle with understanding that the kingdom of God is a, a progressive reality, right? Me- meaning it grows and, and it moves along a time frame where, where the way it's visible and what happens with it, it's not static, it progressively changes. He had brought his kingdom down to earth. But that means that means something that we have to wrap our minds around. We can start living in some of the benefits of the kingdom right here and right now. But the full spectrum of the kingdom of God, the full beauty, what it will look like when it's, when it's all the way here, we don't get to experience that until Jesus returns and puts every enemy of God into submission to the Father. This means that we won't live in, the, in the, the full reality of the kingdom until Jesus comes and deals with, for eternity, Satan, sin, and death. This is when the full kingdom will be manifest, right? That, that's why suffering is still here. Why do we suffer? Why do we still hurt? It's because the enemy is still doing his work. So sin, death, shame, and all the things that come with it, we can still experience now. One day we won't, though. There's a difference there. Are you following me? The crux of why we wanted this topic today is essentially this. Not realizing that the kingdom of God is a progressive reality as you walk out your faith. That is not understanding that there are real benefits now in the here and now, but then there's also going to be a more and a more beautiful benefit later. Not understanding that will cause major issues in your heart, in your beliefs, and your actions. Because here's the thing, you either expect the kingdom to come now and be really, really ticked when things don't go your your way, or you'll you'll revert to the kingdom as something uh, that you'll get to when you die and you'll pay no attention to it here. And we have to learn to walk kind of in the middle. To hopefully help us with this, we may need to redefine what the kingdom of God actually is. The kingdom of God is not a certain place that comes to be all at a certain time. Those words are 
or really intentional. The kingdom of God is, is not a certain geographic or political place that comes to be all at one certain time. See, people often mistakenly think that the kingdom of God is a certain geographic place. It's a location or a political power. We have this, honestly, at full view right now. Why is, I guess there was just a peace treaty within the last couple of days. Why is Israel and Palestine bombing each other right now? Or why had they been over the last couple of weeks? It's because they were fighting over a geographic land that they believe was the kingdom of God and they wanted it. You watch the news and they have a whole bunch of other words that they use to, to define what's happening. That is what's happening. There's a geographic land. That's God's land. And we will fight and spill blood to get God's land. Is that an oversimplification in some ways? Yeah, a little bit. But it's most definitely at the root of what started all of their wars. They think the kingdom of God is one spot. Blood will always be spilled when you think that. If you want to look at our own land, how is it possible This will not be all, but this will be some if you've paid attention. How is it possible that many American citizens raided the Capitol wearing and carrying crosses and believing in their core that they were doing God's work? Not all thought that, but if you look deeply, a lot really actually did. I know many would be like, well, it's Trump and this propaganda and all that, which, you know, fine. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but that's not the point. The reason that some of them were there because of their wrong beliefs. They believed that America was the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem. Like Americans have been kind of pridefully believing this and pushing this tale out for, for, for generations. We, we are the, the chosen people in the chosen land and the holy land. We're the good guys and all of this. It's a belief that we're the kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And what happened is many people went to the capital because they believed somebody stole their kingdom and they wanted it back. Misguided? Sure. Wrong? Sure. Evil? Sure. Also sad. We have a way to demonize people. We don't really understand that some of those guys, I think, actually thought they were doing the right thing. Believing the kingdom of God is a geographic location or a political place will always spill blood. It will always be destructive. And if, we wanna, if I want to try my luck and go even closer, if we want to touch even closer to home, why did so many proclaiming believers, Republican and Democrat, Turn the gospel into an uh, into or turn the election into a gospel issue. Why did that happen? Why did the, the did their party or their candidate become the mountain to die upon? Wasn't it the misguided belief that the kingdom of God is America and they're going to defend it by their person and their party? If you think that was not it, a chosen land that people fight for—that's most definitely what was happening there. The kingdom of God is not a single place or a single party, and it never, ever will be. The Bible actually talks about the kingdom of God being in, in earth and in the heavens. You can't pinpoint a geographic location when you look at the Bible for what the kingdom of God is. It, it, does not, it is not affixed to a certain place or a group of people. And if someone ever tells you that it is, they're wrong, they're lying to you, and they don't understand the Bible. Then the other side, the kingdom of God is not something that comes into existence or into to the fullness of its existence at a certain time. I'll try my best to make sense of this. If you'll put that, that first uh, little diagram thing in the bobber up. Uh, the Bible talks about 
humanity living in two ages. This is the only sphere that the Bible talks about human beings living in. There is this age and the age to come. There's nothing else. Right? You can talk about what about before that? Well, that's before us. Humanity only in this, this age and the age to come. And our minds tend to think of things kind of like this. Okay, at a certain point will be this age, this age, this age, this age, boom, the age to come. Our linear minds think that at one moment, in, in one, one time, it'll snap and it'll change and all of a sudden one age will, will be gone completely and forever and a new age will come to stand alone forever. That's the way that our linear minds think about the ages and, and the problem is the Bible doesn't actually say that. The Bible says this about the two ages and This age is the one that they talk about being ruled by the enemy of God, Satan, where sin and death reign. It's not that it goes until it's over and then it's just God's turn. The way the Bible communicates about the ages is the two ages, they do this. They actually overlap, which means that we live in this time that is still this age and it's touching the age to come and we're in this middle part where both exist. That's why things are so hard for us to understand here. Now, The current age is ruled by Satan. He's powerful and he's raging against God. This is why the kingdom can be here and we can still suffer. This is why we can still have problems. And it will not be only the age to come until Jesus returns and conquers Satan completely. That is when the kingdom of God will be fully realized. You may ask, okay, great, Why the charts? Why the focus? Again, it's because getting this wrong will cause really big problems and a whole lot of disappointment. John believed the kingdom of God would come all at once. That's what he believed. We'll be in this age, and then boom, it's the age to come. And that's why when suffering came, he was so disappointed and so hurt because he's going, we're in the age to come. Why am I still hurting? Why did you do this, Jesus? Why did you let this happen to me, Jesus? And Jesus going, I never promised all of that would go away right now. We have to understand, in this time, until Jesus returns again, we can be in the kingdom of God and still feel the effects of the kingdom of the world. We have to get that. If the kingdom of God isn't a certain place that comes all at a certain time, if we get some benefits from it now, but some of it later, if it's partially here but not fully here, then, then, then here's the honest question that we all probably are asking. Okay, then what exactly is this thing? What is it? George Ladd says it this way, the kingdom of God is his kingship. It's his rule. It's authority. The best way to understand what the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God is anywhere that God reigns. God rules. When this is once realized, we can go through the New Testament and find passage after passage where the meaning is evident, where the kingdom of God is not a realm or a people, but it's a reign. It's where God reigns. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what we're invited into. The biblical narrative is this, that when sin entered the world, so did death and evil. The Bible says at that point, Satan ruled the earth and he exercised his rule. Remember, this is about a reign and a rule. When sin came in, Satan began to rule. 
Meaning humanity did not worship God, they did not submit to God, and God did not reign over them. Why? Because Satan was ruling, but God made a plan to reconcile the world unto himself through Jesus, made a way to destroy the rule and reign of Satan forever, thereby destroying sin and death and fixing the problem of brokenness. So what does this mean? When Jesus comes and preaches the kingdom of God is here, he's not promising you a golden ticket where everything in life goes well. He's saying, okay, a new way is here. Before it was only ruled by Satan. Now a new way is here. I have come to start attacking Satan and his kingdom on his own turf. This is where he reigns. This is where he rules. I'm going to snatch up people though, and I'm going to change their allegiance to me. I'm going to steal citizens from the enemy. I'm going to make them mine. And I'm going to do it by transforming one heart after another after another. One heart that was following the enemy will turn to God. Another heart that was following the enemy will turn to God. And another heart that was following the enemy will turn to God. Jesus has come one person at a time to set them free from the rule of Satan, reconcile them to God, And watches citizens of the enemy who are under his reign and rule become free sons and daughters. This is the audacity of the, of the gospel of Jesus. Watch as I will come. Watch what I will do. I'll break into this land ruled by the enemy. And I'll start snatching one person after another after another. And they'll turn, uh, then after this, what the reality is, is after Jesus kind of snatches one heart after another after another, Jesus turns those people that he snatched back on the enemy to do war with him. The old citizens of the enemy come back to attack the enemy with Jesus, and they attack him not through violence, not through worldly force or power or opposition. The church, the people of God, they will attack the enemy by spreading the gospel of the kingdom. There's another way. There's another king. You, you don't have to do that anymore. And all people of all places, no matter how deep they are in the enemy's territory, can come and receive pardon through this great Jesus. This is the message. Jesus has come to make war one heart at a time. Through one life changed at a time, And then those people, as one people, go push back darkness with King Jesus. See, this is what Christianity is, fighters of darkness with the king of light. This is why it does not make sense to believe that that Christianity is my own personal faith and just me and Jesus and I live it out in, in this other spot. No, 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 you think you're not in a war. King Jesus has brought a war and invited you in to come fight against darkness with him. Christianity is is those who go take their submission to Jesus into the enemy territory. That's our working definition for a little while. And what do they do? They invite the people around them who are still in the darkness to come into the light with them. I got a better king that I'm following. You want to come? This is what it is. So I hope that our hearts can see a wider picture this morning. I know that we said this message is just a different style, but I'm hoping through backing up and seeing the greater picture that our hearts can be encouraged in what Jesus has done is still doing and wants to do with you and me. What does this mean? If, we're, if we want to see the wider picture of this war that is happening in the darkness, it means that if you are a believer of God, an act of war is sharing the gospel of the kingdom while in the enemy's land. You speak about your king 
across the lawn, across the fence, across the table, across the cubicle, uh, uh, across a, a barbell, across the golf course, no matter where you are, you talk about your king in the enemy's territory, that's an act of war. Acts of war are worshiping God when the enemy is around. Can you imagine the audacity of what worship is if we frame it that way? We're in the enemy's land going, you don't rule me anymore. He does, and you can't do a thing about it. That's what worship is. For you, like, man, I just can't get into it. Well, you don't know what you're doing. We are brazenly singing, you will never touch me again. Acts of war are radical acts of hospitality. Why? In a world that is moving so fast and so preoccupied with himself and so hurting for you to slow down and, and break bread at the table or invite someone into your home is a radical act of war going, the other kingdom works this way, but my house doesn't. Come in and just breathe for a while. Why is the table so powerful? It goes against everything that is happening in the world around us. Acts of war are showing up with your family to gather and worship regularly, not once every four to six weeks. Acts of war are when you pray for people to be healed. Why? Because when someone actually is healed, the kingdom of darkness that causes people to be sick, a hole is being poked into it. You won't exist forever. And then praying for each other when we struggle in weakness and sin, which you do and I do. What happens when I pray for a brother or you pray for me where I struggle and God gives me the ability to walk out of that? What happens? We are renewed under our real king. The enemy's like, oh, look, look, I'm going to get him. And you're like, nah, you won't. All of those things are spreading the kingdom of God where we live. We're so worried about being right about not rocking the boat. When, what if we looked at just, what does it look like to just little acts of war that show the king off in a world that needs him so much? This is what we're called to do. This is why it doesn't make sense when we're so worried, well, I can't be missional because I don't know all the right words to say. Do you have a king? Yes. Has he delivered you? Yes. You have everything you need. The enemy tricks us into thinking we're not smart enough, we're not bright enough, we're not far enough along, we're not good enough to, to silence us. He's winning the war there. Fight back. This is how we take part in the kingdom. We continually follow Jesus with our lives. Learning how to trust him and follow him more every day, when even when trust takes us to scary places. What does this mean in everyday life? Living in the kingdom of God is praying with your children. We got to learn to do that, guys. Living in the kingdom of God is not zoning out all the time so you can feed and eat with the king. Living in the kingdom of God is not always worrying how to make things easy, but sometimes just saying what is true. Living in the kingdom of God is asking for forgiveness. Living in the kingdom of God when everyone else wants to, to, to divorce and break away, it doesn't. Living in the kingdom of God looks to reconcile relationships instead of peacing out on everyone. These are radical acts under a new king. If we just begin to saw, see daily life and routines as beautiful acts under our king, how much more encouraged would we be as like, look, look at what he's doing. When you begin to see that, that you don't struggle with the same things that you did before, even though you're not perfect, you're going, man, I'm following the king better than I ever did before. 
This would radically change discipleship. What is discipleship? Teaching other people to fight. That's what it is. Man, if we just breathed that in and understood that, I think we'd be a whole lot more encouraged. Here's an honest other word. I think that the the king would be, be a whole lot more appealing too. Noticed when, when Jesus par- preached in the, the parable of the soils, the first message wasn't be good or else. I've come as a king to bring a new kingdom. You want in? How do I do that? Okay, then we may have to talk about obedience at some point. It's a different message. What we want to do is we want to understand what it looks like to live in that kingdom. We want to protect ourselves by understanding, well, what happens in that kingdom now and what do we not get to later? And, and we also want to remember just at a, at a base level that we're called to get rowdy and make trouble. That's what we're called to do. We're called to fight in the kingdom, to see the kingdom break out more and more. Our prayer church is really that we would get this, be encouraged in it, and be deployed in this. How? By, by getting better at a lot of stuff? No, what we need is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach me how to live. Teach me how to be kind. Teach me how to care for other people. Just walk with me. Show me the kingdom in more places than I've ever seen it before. This is how we do battle. We are called to push back darkness with the king. King Jesus came and started it. The Holy Spirit is with us through it. One day we'll see the king face to face again. But until then, we're, we're charged to go fight. If those metaphors scare you, we're charged to see other hearts find a new king just like we did. That's a beautiful thing, and that's what we're called to. I hope that we see it. I hope that if your heart is is in this place of discouragement over the things that are happening, you're like, why is that happening? I hope that you will see that there's an end in sight for all of that. Your king hasn't left you. He hasn't let you down. He, He isn't angry with you. You and I are going to suffer sometimes here. It's only understanding that overlapping nature of the kingdom that we can suffer well and still have hope. I pray that you would see that, and I pray that you would be encouraged. We'll take communion today. Uh, Man, you guys can come back up, but what a great time to take, because when we come to the table, what what are we saying? How do we get access to this kingdom? How do we get a new king? Do we, do we get jumped in? Do we have to earn our place? Do we have to like seven years of, of indebted servitude? No, we got in through the body and blood of Jesus. That's how we got in. That's the only way in. So as we take, we are remembering, 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What are you doing? You're remembering you died, so I don't have to. You died to bring me in. You were the king who died but is not dead anymore. And by your body and your blood, I am in your family. I'm not in that old kingdom anymore. He will never touch me. He will never grab me anymore. I am yours, and one day I'll see you again. That's, that's the hope we take. If you are encouraged this morning, just take and say thank you. If you are beaten down this morning, just take and know it's still there. Be built up and worship the God who is good. Will you stand and worship with me, understanding that your worship is an act of war. It's an act of saying this is who I belong to.